You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. So good to be back. If you've been at Kingsway for the last few weeks, I was not. And uh, we had great staff members filling in for me. It was wonderful to get to catch up on all that. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Kingsway. Hopefully you get vacation soon too. It was really, really good for me and for my family. Today we are kicking off a new series, as you already heard about. It's called The Art of Neighboring. It comes from the book called The Art of Neighboring. I know that was really tricky of us to do it like that. But um, I really want to encourage you to buy the book. It is deeply convicting, it is deeply helpful. It is so simple. You'll read it, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're not, it's not like you're going to read it and go, well, I hadn't thought of that. You're going to read it and go, more like, why didn't I think of it that way? And it's so good. We took our elders through it, took our lead team through it at the church, and then took our staff through it. It's just been really, really good. Really, I encourage you to get it. I don't have copies for you to sell you, to give to you. Just grab it on Amazon. It's worth it. There's a website, theartofneighboring.com. Check it out. So, there are a, f- a few churches going through this series with us. One of them, you may wonder why I'm wearing Plainfield Christian Church's shirt. One of them is Plainfield Christian Church. Steve White and Luke Proctor over there are going through the series, same time we are. We also have Thrive Church with us with Steve Bolin, who took a church and replanted it in Canby. He grew up here. He was on staff here for a while. We have Tribe Church with Matt and Carrie Dilley, church plant from just a few years ago over in Plainfield. They're joining us this morning. Tim, pa- <clears throat> excuse me, Tim Parsons at Journey Church is joining us here in Avon. <clears throat> excuse me. And I said Gary's name wrong last time because I have two friends uh, with different last names, and I said the wrong friend from the last service. But Gary Black at Clayton Christian Church is joining us also this morning. Now, here's the thing for Clayton is they did a similar series that ended, I think, last Sunday on the same theme. And they said, so they said, rather than extending our series three more weeks, what we'll do is celebrate with you every Sunday, we'll rally with you, and then next year we're in. So, church, I told you earlier this year we wanted to recruit five churches to join us on this series, and we did it. Let's just stop and give God the glory this morning. Isn't that awesome? Now, there were a number of churches who said, we would love to do that. It's just too late in the game for us to join you. And so like, I already have a lunch this week with another local pastor here in town, and I'm going to recruit him hopefully for next year. We've already agreed the churches who are doing it this year, we're going to do it again next June. Different different book, same theme, and just continue this, because this is a conversation we need to have over and over and over again. In just a minute, I want to pray over those churches. We'll jump in. But let me just say this last thing real quick. So, if you come to church like once every four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, Christmas, Easter, and like that's all we see you, you're missing out. And here's the reason. I don't want to give you a sales pitch, but I need to say some really important things coming up this fall. We're going to do another hard kind of topic series. Last year, we called it Elephants in the Church, and we talked about uh, the importance of life, and we talked about racism. We talked about really important things in our world. And this year, we're going to do something similar again. We're going to talk about some LGBTQ questions and issues, and what is it the church needs to know? What does God's word have to say? And here's the thing. I won't have time to re-preach today's sermon then. So what I'm laying today is a foundation for all of us to stand on when we get to that point to know that the new content builds on the old content. But if you're here once every four or five weeks, you're going to miss that. And I will be so sad because you will not get the full experience. So I just want to encourage you when you aren't here, go online and check things out. I went online and listened to the last two weeks. So I knew exactly what were said and, um, and how good they were and how I need to up my game to keep up with Darren and Lyndon. But anyway, let's go ahead and say a prayer for those other churches and we'll jump in. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to study your word. God, would you open our hearts, open our minds? 
God, would you convict us? Would you move in us? So that God, when we leave here today, we can't be the same as when we came in. And God, we pray a blessing over all those churches joining with us to do this series right now. Would you move in them, move in their people, move in their churches? Some of them are our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, people we know. And God, as we partner together in the body of Christ, may this world know that you are God. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I wanna do is jump right into today's text, Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, open it, whether you use an app or whatever, Luke chapter 10. We're gonna look at the story that I have taught on many, many times, but it's really, really important. We're gonna have to come back to it every couple years over and over and over and over again. Here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, so just this random moment, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. The first thing you need to know is an expert in the law is not like we think of when we think of an expert in the law. This is not a lawyer. This is not somebody who studies the constitution uh, or whatever it is, the local government laws and figures that out. This is somebody who's an expert in the Old Testament laws. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these laws. They're the rules, the constitution, the covenant, if you will, that God gave to his people, the Israelites. And he said, if you want to live for me, if you want to be my people and I will be your God, do these things. Don't do these things. And then there was an entire system in place. If you break one of these rules, here's how you deal with it. You'll find this in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and it is really hard in your daily reading for quiet time, but it's really important to kind of get an understanding. This guy spends his life studying those books and trying to figure out what God meant and how to apply it to people's lives. But the important phrase to get here is that he wanted to test Jesus. So he's already got an attitude issue. Jesus is going around like many of the rabbis and teachers in his day. He's collecting a following. People are coming around to hear what he has to say. And this guy wants to know, does Jesus really know what he's talking about? So then he asks him the most important question you will ever answer in your lifetime. And here's what he asks him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And at the end of the day, isn't that really what we all want to know? Okay, you probably want to know, how do I stop fighting with my spouse? And how do I get my kids to listen and obey? And how do I make enough money to survive in this world? And you may want to know some of those things, and those are all important. But your life, at best, might be 85 years, maybe 90 years, whatever the number is. That's the longest it's going to be. Eternal life is much longer. So if you just weigh it on a scale, you go, hmm, I kind of want to know more about that one. And here's how Jesus answers him. Jesus turns it on its head and doesn't answer it. He says in verse 26, So what's written in the law? Now, you know exactly what this is like, right? Parents, when your kid comes to you and says, oh, mother dearest, can I please play iPad? And you say, well, what do the rules say? And they say, I gotta do my homework first. I gotta finish my chores and I have to eat dinner. and I gotta do all these things. And then your mom says basically what Jesus says. How do you read it? You tell me what you think the rule says. And that's what Jesus says, like, end of conversation. Well, not exactly, but Jesus puts it back on him. Like, you've studied it. You're not going to trap me. You're not going to put me in a corner and try to figure this out. You've read it. What do you think it says? And here's the guy's answer. It's beautiful. He answered, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy's an expert in the law. You'll actually find everything he said in the Old Testament. You'll find them in Leviticus 18. You'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hero Israel, it's called the Great Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's right there. He studied the law. He knows it. 
So he says it to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, verse 28, well done, all right. You answer correctly. Yeah, go do this and you'll live. Now there's a tension in this, and I'll get to this more as we go, but there's a tension in this because essentially Jesus just said, be perfect and you'll live forever. How are you doing? Let's go back a verse, if you will. Go back to verse 27 and look at what he says again. Have you ever failed to love God with your whole heart? Have you ever failed to love God with your whole soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? You ever tempted to be greedy or mean or harsh or critical? You ever tempted with lust or desires for things you want but don't have? Have you ever given in to those temptations? I guarantee you this lawyer, this religious lawyer, has done that. I know because all of us have done that. None of us, I was about to use a double, triple negative, and I was in my mind losing how many negatives I'd used. All of us have failed to keep God's law perfectly. All of us. But Jesus says, go ahead, keep them all perfectly. You'll live eternally. But that's a problem. Now we'll come back to that problem. But here's the thing. I want to say something real quick, and then I'm going to move on, and I don't have time to prove it to you. We believe this. I can show you to you in Scripture. I will show it to you in Scripture all the times that we teach throughout times. I'll show you verses. I'll show you passages. But for now, I'm going to ask that you trust me. The Bible tells us there is an evil force at work in the world, and that evil force is doing evil things in the world, and that's relevant because I, the older I get, the more I find myself saying, well, when I was a kid, you, have you noticed that? Well, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my mom took me outside. I don't remember how exactly how old I was, but I was around six years old. She took me to the end of our driveway and she said, do you see Logan's house down there about six houses that way? I don't want you going past his house. And do you see Miss Droppelman's house? She was my, my second grade teacher. I don't want you going past her house. That's about four more mailboxes that way. Then you get into the woods and in a whole different neighborhood after that. See all the way up there, see Stephen's house. It's about eight houses away, but there's nothing up there. It's a dead end. You can go, don't go past Stephen's house. This way, it's the main road in. I don't want you going past three houses, past the Metzger's house, up going that way. And I want you to stay in this area. And my mom had a level of safety. And a lot of times, my mom would watch me as I went to the neighbor's houses and played or whatever it is. And she would, you know, at night when she was ready for me to come in, she didn't have like a bell or anything. She just had a really big mouth. And she listened to the last service, so I think I could say that. And she would just come out and say, Matt, and I would come running in. And it was a somewhat safe world. Did you have that kind of experience? When my dad and his dad was even younger, my understanding is you could go even further and people didn't really stress about it. Now, when I was a kid, we started getting milk cartons on the table. You remember those? And there'd be pictures of kids. And I don't know exactly how all those kids were kidnapped, but somewhere along the way, Satan started winning. And the way that he started winning was more people started doing more evil things, making the world a more dangerous place. Do you know what I'm talking about? That evil that's at work in the world so that now you feel this anxiety about your children all the time, don't you? And like, what's gonna happen to them? Who's gonna take them? Who might hurt them? My parents didn't have that same anxiety when we were kids. As a byproduct of that, we started building our houses differently. Here is my actual childhood home <clears throat> up in Uniontown, Ohio. And this is the best picture I could find on the internet. This is not when we owned the home. In fact, I actually went to Google Earth, downloaded Google Earth and looked at it from the top. 
They've added like a little chain link fence in the backyard. We never had a fence. There's like a little red barn over here. We, we never had that. We were on a corner and it was glorious because we had this really big flat driveway and like all the neighborhood kids would come over and play basketball right here because we had a big flat driveway. Then we would literally play football going this way on one corner and in the back we'd play baseball going this way and the whole house was like the, the congregating spot because we were in the center kind of of the neighborhood and kids would just come over and then their parents would yell, go home, and they'd come home and, and that was how it went. Where's the garage on that house? Do you see it? Well, the driveway comes in like this, and the garage, you can't really see it. It's right here. The first house my wife and I bought in Colorado, here's that house. Where's the garage? See, as a byproduct of the world becoming a little bit scarier, a little bit more dangerous, we started building our lives differently. It used to be that the front door sat front and center and it said, come on over, we'd love to have you. But now we build our houses where the garage door sits out and you can't see this here because I was a genius and put a tree right here. This is not when I lived in this house, but this is now the person who owns it after me. That's the front door right there. So you drive past my house, you don't even know if I have a door. You could just keep going. Like, I don't know what those people do. And we pull up to our houses, we open our garage doors, we pull into our garages, we shut the door, and then we don't talk to anybody. Because it's safer. Because those people are weird. They won't mess up your family, and they won't mess up your life. And then in Colorado, we had a dog, and so we did what everybody in Colorado did. Here's my actual backyard. We built a Six-foot privacy fence. I actually built that fence, even though this is while somebody else is living in my old house. We had to put in our yard. I mean, they're so close together. Literally, you could almost touch the neighbor's house from the side of your house. But you put up a six-foot privacy fence. I'm five foot eight with these shoes on that are like boots, okay? You can't see over them. And it changes everything. And yeah, we interacted with the neighbors and we got to know them a little bit, but... You can literally sit in your backyard and be completely shut off from the world. You can go in your house and shut the garage door and be shut off from the world. But here's the question and here's the problem. Here's what we're gonna be wrestling with over the next two weeks after this. What if Jesus meant that we should actually love our neighbors, like our real, literal neighbors? I used to hear Jesus say, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. And I used to have in my mind, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He means those people in Peru where we serve with new hope and they're hungry. He means those people in India where we serve with Carry India and they don't have enough resources to survive. He means those people at Wheeler who are downtown. And so we give generously of our time and our talents and our energy to love and care for those people. But what if he actually meant your real neighbors? So I did some research. I went, okay, so what does a really good neighbor look like? And do you know what I found? He looks like this. Now, some of you aren't gonna know who that is. Like, if you're under 35, you're gonna have to turn on Netflix or Hulu or something and find out who this is. Who is that? Yeah, and Wilson came from what TV show? Well, I didn't come from Tool Time. Came from Home Improvement, right. See, some of you got mixed up there. That's right, Tool Time was a show within a show, so it was a little confusing, it was great, all right? So this was the neighbor in the TV show, and through the entire season, or show's run, I think it was 10 years, or whatever, nine years, you never saw his face except for once, I think. In one episode, they showed you his face. Does anybody know that guy's actual name? In real life, his real name? 
Most likely you don't because you never saw him. Here's what he looks like. You're welcome. <laughs> now do you recognize him? Now you see it. This is Earl Hindman, I think is how you say his name. And he kind of enjoyed the anonymity of literally being the neighbor and you only saw his face. And here's what's fascinating. So as I did some research, like what does a really good neighbor look like? Here, I found this article. I'm probably gonna botch this lady's name. So give me, give me some grace. Uh, the lady who wrote the article was Casey Lillyord, I think, if I'm saying that right. Here's what she says. The character of Wilson himself comes from a childhood memory of Tim Allen in which Allen was too short to see his neighbor over the fence. So he couldn't see his neighbor. It's funny how actors apply real life to a sitcom and turn it into something memorable for us all to enjoy. Wilson's character is quite unique. He's wise. He's been everywhere. And he willingly helps out Tim and his family, though he has no obligation to. He's the kind of neighbor people wish they had. In a world where many of us don't know our neighbors, Wilson makes us want to know them just to see if we can find a Wilson in our own backyards. I was like, that's so good. For those of you who've never seen this show, every time Tim Allen was stuck, he might be having a problem with his wife. He might be having a problem with a friend or a business partner. He might be having a problem with his kid. He'd wander in the backyard and there'd be Wilson out there doing something and they would have a conversation over the fence and you could always see Tim Allen but you could only on Wilson see his eyes and Wilson would always know exactly what to say. He just always seemed to be available when he had a need. And so I did some research and the thing is like, we don't really have any examples of these kind of neighbors in our TV shows today. There were funny examples and friends, I won't use some of them. Even that's a show from a few decades ago. We don't know how to be a neighbor. You wouldn't be alone in that. This lawyer that Jesus is talking to in verse 29, he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Like, who would we be talking about here when we talk about neighbors? And I understand his question because sometimes I think I could feel like that. It's easy for me to live my life with my family, in my house, with my car, with my stuff. I go into my backyard or my front yard and my kids and I are playing a game. It's easy to get wrapped up. My kids, they want their daddy's undivided attention and to forget that I actually have real neighbors living real lives. But I think part of the reason why we struggle to know what a neighbor is is because we picture in our head maybe the only other modern example we have of a neighbor and it's this guy. Anybody know what's happening here? Okay, so a few of you watched Big Bang Theory. This is Sheldon, and Sheldon is extremely intelligent and equally quirky. We'll put it that way, right? For those of you who watch the show. And he's going over to Penny's door where he's going to do what? Penny, Penny, Penny. He has to do it three times. It's one of his quirks. And anytime Sheldon goes over there, he rarely is bringing value to Penny's life. He's almost always going over there to irritate her with some question or frustration or something that he needs from her. Do you see the difference between, say, a Sheldon and a Wilson? I'm not comparing TV shows. I'm simply comparing the illustration. And I think most of us have in mind the reason we don't talk to our neighbors is because we're afraid we'll be too much like Sheldon. They went in, they shut their door, they clearly don't want to interact with us, so if I go over... Nobody's going to want to talk to me anymore. 
Here's Jesus' answer to this whole situation. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, first of all, there is a, a guy named Jerome. If you've studied church history, you might've heard of Jerome. But Jerome wrote about this road. And he said, this road was actually like known as murderer's way. Jesus didn't pick this particular journey. He, it's just an illustration. He made the story up to make a point. And he picked this location for a reason. It was called Murderer's Way because it was known that uh, thieves and robbers and criminals would hide in the cracks and crevices and in the hills. And as people were coming by, they would often jump out. So people would have to travel with swords or sometimes in groups or family groups to have a better chance of either scaring off or defending yourself. Or often they would travel on an animal in hopes that they could get away. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes because that would have had value beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. First of all, a priest, it wouldn't necessarily have been radically different than when you hear the word priest today. They wouldn't have had the black collar with a little white thing in the front. This wouldn't have been a Catholic priest. This would have been a Jewish priest. A priest specifically mediated on behalf of God. They were to bring God to the people and the people to God. So if you needed to make a sacrifice, literal animal sacrifice for your sin, as we talked about, you broke one of those hundreds and hundreds of rules and you had to get right with God again and you brought the animal in, you would take it to the priest and the priest would stand before you and God. And by the way, it is said that sometimes people would have to pronounce their sin over the animal before they killed the animal. I mean, this person is intimately involved with everybody in the community. They know everybody's business. If anybody you could trust with the details going on in your life, with something falling apart, that's the guy. But when he saw the man in need, he goes to the other side of the road and just keeps going. Verse 32, so too a Levite. A Levite would have been from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites were the only tribe that weren't given land. And the reason they weren't given land is because they were the tribe of priests. So they would take turns serving in the temple, but they weren't all priests all the time. The women couldn't be priests, but the people would serve in the temple. So if you weren't a priest, this is the next most likely person to serve you, to take care of you. They're the ones when you come into the temple, make sure everything's clean and set up and prepared. They're the ones who are making sure all the other things are happening in the place so the priests can do what the priests do. But when the Levite sees the man, he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. The two people most likely to give the right response, give the exact wrong response, and just avoid the situation. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. First of all, I'm always impressed. The more I study Jesus, the more I'm impressed with his storytelling. I don't know if Jesus just sits around at night and thinks, oh, someday I'm going to use this great story but he gets these details where if you catch the detail, you're like, holy cow, that was not an accident. There's no way that was an accident. This is not an accident. I have spent entire sermons unpacking this. I don't have time right now. But Samaritans and Jews hated each other, hated each other. It's been said that Jews would literally travel all the way around Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. Jesus didn't pick a Samaritan on accident. These are people of a different nationality, 
And their people have done terrible, unspeakable things to the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people have done terrible, unspeakable things to the Samaritan people. There is so much disunity and division and hatred among them. It is unbelievable in Jesus' day. And Jesus says, that guy, not the priest, not the Levite, as he traveled, he came where the man was, naked, beaten up, and half dead. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. The word pity here, I I don't love, it's fine for the English language. In Greek, it's the root of the word splagna, splagnitsomai. You can hear it in there, splagna. That sounds like what you would have on somebody as you walked by them. Because splagna means compassion. It literally, in Greek, means something stirred so deeply. You ever watch a TV show? Maybe it's the news something evil or terrible happens, or maybe you're on social media and you read a story about somebody whose life just completely fell apart and you look at your family, you look at your spouse, you look at your friends, you go, I can't do nothing. It's just not an option for me. That's what this guy felt. He saw the man and he was so stirred in his heart, he knew he had to act. Something literally, he literally felt something in the pit of his belly. It says in verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oil and wine would be the best of a person's stuff. It would be stuff we use to care for people, but it's the extra, the good. It's one thing to feed a person, right? It's another thing to give them the best of what you have. And that's what this man did. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which would have meant that as they continued on their travel down murderer's way, he would have put his own life in danger in order to put this man on the animal that might be his only hope for survival should more marauders come out of the cracks and crevices. Do you see how Jesus never misses a detail? And it's just amazing. It's just one phrase that is like loaded with information. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. So now he's put his life, his plans on hold to care for this man in need. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. Two denarii would have covered at least a couple of days. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. If it takes 30 days, so be it. If it takes 60 days, so be it. If it takes 90 days, so be it. When I come back, how's he gonna prove it? He's gonna give him video evidence? He's just gonna say, hey, I took care of that man for another 30 days before he left and was on his own. Whatever it is, the man said, when I come back, I'll pay it. Now, is this a real story? No, but is it a real story? Well, yes. Jesus used it to make a point to this guy who's saying, who is my neighbor? And when he tells the story, he uses the man who should hate him because of racist issues, He sacrifices not only his own money, he sacrifices the best of what he has. He gives up his own time. He gives up his own safety. He takes himself out of comfort into discomfort to meet a need. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer in verse 36 and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the answer is obvious, right? The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy. And Jesus told him, good, go and do Likewise. So, Joe Malley, our children's pastor, 
he recommended this book to me about a year ago. I was kind of struggling, like, I feel like God wants to do this in our church, but I don't, I don't know what to do with it yet. That's a long story, but he's like, hey, you should check out this book. So I went and bought the book, and I sat on it for a couple months. And then I had a sermon series planning meeting coming up. One of the ways I hold myself accountable is I, I make a meeting where I have to be accountable because it makes me get stuff done. So I show up, and I got to have some stuff done for this meeting. I'm like, hey, we're going to do this book, this book that I haven't fully read yet. So then I opened the book, and I actually bought the audio copy, and I started listening to it while I was running and, and stuff like that. And as I'm going through the book, it is like a gut punch, the art of neighboring. It's like, this is so obvious. It's so clear, and yet I struggle with it so bad. So bad. A little over a year ago, we had these neighbors, and when you drove by their house, they had these big overgrown weeds, and just the yard was a wreck. And in my heart, I was judgmental of them. Look, I don't have the tidiest yard, I don't, but I was judgmental. Like, man, come on. Like, we're all in this neighborhood together. Last year, at one point, I was outside. Um, I got this pine tree in my backyard, and it had dropped all these needles. And it did it like two years in a row, and I needed to pick it up. It was getting really bad. And it was quarantine life. And so I told my wife, hey, I'm going to go find the deal with those needles. And I'm like, I'm out there. Like, I am working away. I'm sweating hard. Like, I'm using muscles I didn't even know I had anymore. Like, it's hard work. And I'm out there killing it, getting all these needles. I got big old piles, and I'm picking them up. And I'm all proud of myself because it looks fantastic. And I look up, and I notice these two people working in my neighbor's yard. And, and I, don't really, uh, I don't really know what's going on. So anyway, I've got my AirPods in, and I take them out, and the kind of the three of us neighbors are congregated together, and it turns out they are across the street, and they're just there serving these neighbors. They're an older couple I didn't even know. And so after we stopped talking, they went back to working on the neighbor's yard, and I went back to my needles. Hi, I'm your pastor. (laughs) And I don't ever want to be a hypocrite and say, do as I say and not as I do. But in this situation, do as I say and not as I did. I'm not proud of that. I say that because God is kicking my backside on this one. What if Jesus meant we should actually love our neighbors? What if he meant we should actually know them and care about what's going on in their life? What if he meant we should actually not judge them and throw stones, not literal, but we should actually meet their needs and care for them? I have been so blessed, sometimes by people in the church, but even by our neighbors. When my father-in-law was really sick, and he was, um, really, he was dying almost two years ago, and I was driving back and forth, and my family was down in Kentucky, and I was coming back here to work, and, he was like, and there was this one time, and it was just, I was getting really late at night, and I had to cut grass, and I had to do these leaves, and I had all this stuff I had to do, I had to do, I had to do, I had to do, I had to do. My neighbor came over, and he was, he's, he's a much older man than me, and he's retired, and he just said, he, he was just talking, he's like, hey, what can we do? And he said, Matt, why don't you let me do that? He cut my grass for me. And I'm like so thankful because it was such a blessing. And I know there's a bunch of people here. If I had just called and said, hey, would you hook me up? They'd have said, absolutely, man. I got your back. Go. I know. I know. But my neighbor loved me. But then when my neighbor had a need, I just kept going, why don't they take care of their weeds? Do you see the breakdown? One of the devotions with this men's group that I'm in right now, one of the devotions this week was on blessing and how the only way a blessing becomes complete is if you both receive it and then give it away. If you only receive it, it's selfish. It's not what God intended it for. He's intending for you to get it and then give it away. And immediately that spirit just started filling my head with all these ideas of like, man, when God forgives you, he expects you to forgive others. When God gives mercy to you, he expects you to give mercy to others. When God gives you money, he expects you to give money to others. God intends for you to receive, yes, but not for it to stop there. This isn't the Dead Sea where water flows into and nothing comes 
comes out of it. This is supposed to be something that gives life as it receives life over and over and over again, in you, out of you, in you, out of you. So what if you are blessed by neighbors, then what should you be doing? Blessing the neighbors. If you've never been blessed by a neighbor, what if you were the first? Here's a little phrase I came up with years ago, and I keep using it because it's so good. It's like the only phrase I've ever come up with that I keep using, and it's this. Proximity determines priority. Proximity determines priority. And what that means is whoever God has put closest to you, put them first. Now, what that doesn't mean is your family always. Of course your family first. And if you have to choose between taking care of your family or taking care of somebody else's family, you have to take care of your family. But if it stops there, it becomes the Dead Sea. It's coming in, it's not going back out. So it can't be only that. Now, throughout this series, we're gonna give some practical tips and challenges and encouragements. What does it mean? How do I do it? What do I deal with? All those things. But what I want to start to get in your mind is this is not Sheldon. This is not somebody going to the neighbor and saying, Penny, I need something, I need something, I need something. This is not weird or inauthentic. This is like a heartfelt, deeply felt conviction. So I've been wrestled with this. We took our elders through it, we took our staff through it, and I've read the book and I've reread the book and, and I'm trying to gather other churches. I'm like, you know what? I better not be a hypocrite. I better start practicing this. So this is a couple months ago. I, uh, I pull in my driveway and I'm sitting in my driveway. I haven't got out of the car yet. The kids in the house, families in the house, they don't know that I'm home yet. I open the garage door and I just sense the spirit saying, don't rush. So I'm sitting in my car and I just start to pray. And I was really convicted because we had just met with some of the local pastors we were trying to recruit for the series. And I was like, God, I can't be a hypocrite. I can't be a hypocrite. So I just started praying. And there was this one neighbor that God, and I won't say who they are. I won't say anything about their details. But God put this one neighbor on my mind. I was like, God, not them. Anybody <laughs> but them. Because there's no chance. They're never going to receive you. It's going to be a waste of time and energy. And God said, do you really not believe that I could do everything? Do you really not believe that I can reach even them? Fine, I'll pray for them, but that's all you get right now. <laughs> you get a prayer. And I did. I said, God, forgive me for my hard heart. Forgive me for my arrogant pride. Forgive me for being selfish. And God, would you just open a door? If you open it, God, I'll walk through it. So I've been wrestling with all this stuff. And so that night I said to my wife, my wife and I've been talking about this and my wife, Rachel, she's amazing. I was like, hey, how do we start to develop relationships with our neighbors? And I'll get to more of that in just a moment. But I was like, I'd like to start taking walks to the neighborhood instead of just always playing in the backyard, instead of just always doing the things we need to do. Like, let's try to become more active in our neighborhood. Like whatever that means, right? One of the margin that we have. And so I was like, let's go on a family walk. So we do, we go on a family walk. We go to the park, we talk to people and we're whatever, fine. We come back around and um, we're coming up to the end of this time and this family goes right past us guess which family it is now my family doesn't know that i had just prayed two hours ago that god would open a door and i look at my wife and i'm whispering like that's the family and not in a good way I'm like y'all are laughing at me i hope you don't think i'm as judgmental as it sounds like i am but i'm thinking to myself it's not that i'm judging them or condemning them it's that i'm thinking they're never going to receive jesus there are reasons why i know they're never going to be open to it and sure enough, the Holy Spirit said, you said if I open a door. Uh, I meant a door when my family's not around, like later, not today, next month. So I just, I just started yelling. <laughs> hey, because they're past us now. Like, hey, hey, tried to get their attention. And they didn't respond. I went, well, I tried God. And my kids are like, dad, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. 
And as it sits today, that's the last interaction I've had with him. And I'm not okay with that. And I may never be able to give you another update because it wouldn't be fair to them. I can only tell you that God has moved in me and he stirred in me and he said, don't be a priest and don't be a Levite. Be a Samaritan. What about you? Is there a neighbor that just irritates you? Is there a neighbor that in your heart, you're hoping that they put their for sale sign up? Is there a person that you just think there's no way? Is there somebody that you think, man, they need Jesus so bad, I hope somebody tells them one day. Why not you? Why not you? Now, I wanna show you something. I cheated. I didn't show you a whole verse earlier because I wanted to come back to it now. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 29. When the lawyer asked about the neighbor, here's what it actually says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I left this part out on purpose. The whole reason he's asking this is not because he wants to clarify how to live, it's because he wants off the hook. He believes, if I can focus only on the Israelites, only on my people, only on people who are like me, they look like me, they act like me, they think like me, they agree with me politically. If I can focus on people who have my color of skin, if I can focus on people who like the same hobbies that I like, if I can do that, I'm good. I love my neighbor, great. I take care of my kids, my parents. I got it all down. But if I have to actually look at who's around me and love them regardless of how they're different from me, and Jesus says, love them in the same way you love yourself. Now that's radical. And it's hard. And here's the thing, you won't be able to do it without the love of God inside you. Because otherwise, when they start pushing against the things that you hold dear, you're gonna be like, mm, mm. I tried, God. And all of a sudden, God's gonna go, but wait a minute, I pursued you when you didn't agree with me. I pursued you when you didn't love me. I pursued you when you didn't know me. And I love them as much as I love you. I died for them as much as I died for you. And I want them with me for eternity as much as I want you. So if there's any toes left that I haven't stepped on today, I stepped on my own. Let me give you one last challenge. In the book, and actually, I didn't bring mine, darn it. Um, out here at this counter at our Connect Hub, there's these papers, and they look like this. This is a homework assignment for you. You put your name and your family in this middle box. Again, we have papers of this, or you can just pop, grab it off the internet and print it for yourself. And your first homework assignment is to write in the names and the kids' names, if there are any, of each of the neighbors that are around your house. One friend of mine, one of our elders, lives out in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, well, that's easy. I only have like two neighbors. I'm like, cheater. But most of us, that's not gonna be our story. I had to go to my cheat sheet, my wife, because my wife knew almost all of them. And so the goal is just to start with, okay, before I can actually love my neighbor, it might help if I actually know my neighbor. We'll talk more about this next week, but there was some profound conviction in the book where one of the authors of the book, there's two authors, had to actually go to one of his neighbors that he's lived next to for years and say, hey man, I just gotta be honest, I don't know your name. Like we've waved at each other, we've talked in passing, I literally don't know who you are. And I'm sorry, because that's not okay. And my guess is the neighbor might not know you either. It won't be as awkward as you think, unless you go up and go, hey you. <laughs> the goal is to love others the way you love yourself. Now, I just wanna close with this. Maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're listening, or maybe you're watching online, maybe you're visiting with us. 
Maybe you didn't know that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, that he would never cross the other side of the street. He would never avoid you. And I don't care what you're struggling with when you come in here today. No matter what your temptation, no matter what your issue, no matter what your sin is, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die so we could have a relationship with you. And you may hear the news and you may hear Christians talk and you may think, well, God loves everybody but people like me. That's not true. It's not true. And if you wanna know more about Jesus, we wanna introduce him to you. We'd love to talk to you about him. You may not be ready to go all in and be baptized yet. You may, we're ready if you are. But you may just have some questions. We'd like to help you with that. You can always, any time of day, 24-7, text the word CONNECT, 317-565-4911. Just connect. It's just like our catch-all. Any question, any day, any time, we'll follow up, we'll sit down. We'll just start talking to you about Jesus. All right, let me pray, and we're gonna sing, and then we're gonna go start being great neighbors. We'll see you next week. By the way, go Plainfield, eh? Huh? All right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. It's so encouraging and convicting all the same. God, I don't wanna be a hypocrite and neither does anybody else in here. We don't wanna tell um, each other that our neighbors need you and not do anything about it. So God, help us to start to get out of our fear. Help us to get out of our comfort zone. Help us to rearrange our lives. We probably can't modify our houses and put the garages on the side. So God, help us to find ways to be creative, to love our neighbors in the same way we love ourselves. And God, I pray that in here today, we would all, your spirit would just allow us to be convicted. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.